Would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2? We are, uh, during our communion service, we like to um, go through the book of Hebrews. It has a lot of themes of sacrifice, of the blood that was shed for us as we think about it. This is a little bit of a different kind of a sermon, though. Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to go through verses 1, to f- one through 4. Uh, it's called Cold Heart. The sermon is called Cold Heart, Ruined Soul. Cold Heart, Ruined Soul. I think I've told this story before, but on uh, the night before I was graduating from college, I had to. I was up in Vallejo and I was driving back to Santa Barbara, and there's these mountains that are called the Gaviota Hills. And once you come out of the Gaviota Hills, you see uh, Refugio Beach and all those other beaches. But when you come out, because the wind, the air is different and it hits the ocean breeze, what happens is there's this fog, kind of just fogs up your windows. And I remember as I was going down, uh, it was my wife, my dad, and uh, it was just us three. I had no kids at the time. And as we were driving down, we saw this car that was wrecked on the fast side of the, of the road. And so we pulled over, and we saw this whole family. They were outside. The axle was broken on the car, and this whole family was, they were just talking to each other in a circle. And my dad and I went over there to see if we could help. And as we were talking to them, um, I was facing oncoming traffic. All of a sudden, I saw this car kind of lose control, come and went straight for us. We were in a, a, you know how like the RBC girls like to talk in a circle? We were doing that, right? We were speaking in a circle, and all of a sudden, I saw this car, and it was only a split second. I just went like this, and the car just missed me. But it hit one of the women, and she flew. Um, The car was probably going about 60, 70 miles an hour, and... This woman flew, and I just saw her just body was just limp. And I just heard the screaming of her husband. Um, and he was just holding her, and he was just shouting and shouting, and he couldn't believe what was happening. And, and, and I said, and I just looked at my dad. We were just shocked that this was happening. And then all of a sudden, as I, as I was talking, to, as I was calling, we were said, call 911. And... Um, I was shouting over across the road to Chinette, and um, her limp body, she was limp. Um, And as we were talking, all of a sudden I look up again, and another car crashes. So now there's three cars in a wreck. And then uh, as I go, oh, my goodness, and then I look up again, and then another car crashes. So these cars are just going boom, boom. I'm in the middle of a highway. You know, it's right before, right after San Luis Obispo, and so the highway's going this way. And I run back and I grab a flare, and I run towards the bend in the road because they're coming so fast. All these college students, they're just going so fast. And they come over this corner, it fogs up, the glass fogs up, and then they hit each other. So all these cars started to pile. It's the most awful sound if you've ever heard it car wrecks boom boom and then they just kept hitting hitting each other so I grabbed a flare and I went to the bend of the road and I started 
to wave the flare, to slow them down. And I, could, I was so close to the cars, I could see their faces. And they don't have a care in the world. They have their music blasting, driving really fast. Some cars saw the car and then just kind of dodged real fast. But I'm waving this flare, and they're not caring. I could just tell they're just not caring. And there is just this danger that is just around the bend, and they don't care. In, in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is writing to a, a mixed group of people, and he's telling the dangers of just not caring. Similarly, just as, as those drivers were not caring about the next step in the road, sometimes some folks just don't care about the gospel. They just don't care about Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says, For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For if the words spoken through angels prove unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience receive the just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders, and by various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to His own will. God gave this passage so that you would repent of your cold heart toward Christ and receive His forgiveness. God gave this passage to you so that you would repent of your cold heart toward Christ and receive his forgiveness. If you are a Christian this morning and you do claim his name, that you would repent any cold of any coldness towards Christ. If you are not a believer and you have no interest in him, my prayer is that you would repent. What we're talking about is this word apathy. Apathy means really just a lack of, of interest in or a concern, just a lack of interest. Not even hotly antagonistic, not even conflicting, just not interested. Just don't want to hear. There are three soul-damning reasons you must repent of your apathy right now. Three soul-damning reasons you must repent of your apathy right now. Don't wait a second later. Turn to Christ right now. Verse 1. First reason is because your apathy offends God. Your apathy offends God. Notice he says, we must pay much closer attention. The we here is all who have heard the gospel, who have seen the effects of the gospel, who have been under the influence of the gospel, who have been exposed to the gospel. And he tells them we must pay closer attention. It is necessary, that word must is, it is necessary. One must, one has to, it is proper, it must be, it is right. And pay attention means to hold one's mind to something or someone. You could translate that to devote oneself to or attend to. In Acts chapter 20, the word is translated to be on guard for yourselves and all the flock. To paraphrase, 
you are to have a fixation, an absorption. To put it more clearly, you are to be obsessed with God. That is the only right and honorable response. You are to be obsessed with God. Your life must be absolutely given and focused to Christ. It is only absolute devotion and commitment is the appropriate response to the gospel. Not lukewarmness, not dipping your toe in the pool, only absolute devotion and commitment. Apathy to the gospel highly offends God. A cold heart to God offends him for three reasons. And it says it right here. Notice he says, the first portion, it says, for this reason. It offends God because you cannot offend a higher person. You cannot offend a higher person than his son. And every day that the gospel doesn't warm your heart, every day that, the, that God is not in your heart and he is not your Lord, you offend him. Notice he says, for this reason, you could translate to be, because of this, it refers to all of chapter 1. Chapter 1, if you remember, in verse 1, it says, God communicated to us through the prophets. He spent the time to reveal himself. He spoke through the burning bush. He spoke through dreams. He spoke through scripture. He spoke through, through all of these different means. And then chapter 1 Verse 2, in these last days he has spoken to us in his son. God himself took upon the burden to communicate to you that you are in trouble. And that the only satisfying way to come into heaven to fulfill his perfect requirement is for you to trust in his son. The son came in the flesh. Notice verse 3, the Son shares in the same essence of the Father, radiating, exuding His glory. He has the exact nature of God the Father. He sustains the universe by an exercise of His Word. This Jesus condescended to this earth. He died to purify sinners, to pay for their just penalty of hell forever. He completely finished the work. Notice He says here, He made purification of sins. This God came down to die. He made purification for sins. Sat down at the exalted right hand, a position of favor with the Father. Verses 4 through 7, Christ is higher than the angels such that they would worship Him. Verse 8, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. His rule is forever. Verse 9, You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. He he is absolutely righteous. He hates lawlessness and sin. He doesn't ignore sin. He hates it. It's not like you walk around and you ignore someone else's sin. He doesn't ignore every single sin he does not ignore. Every single sin, every single evil thought that has ever been, that has ever been done or will be done is either going to be paid on the cross or you will pay for it in eternity in hell forever. Verse 10, he created the foundations in the heavens. The heavens and the earth is a compound idea meaning everything. Verse 11, he will outlast creation as that it will be destroyed and remade. In verse 12, notice in verse 12, he will finally and completely stomp all his enemies. Notice he says here, 
verse 12 and verse 13, I will make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He will finally stomp out all his enemies in a visible display of his power as he renders them powerless. Verse 13 and 14, he sends people out to proclaim his gospel to save them from their sins. Now, listen to me, please. When you reject or just simply are apathetic, you do nothing with the gospel, you're not ultimately offending me. You're not ultimately offending your friends. You're not ultimately offending your Sunday school teachers. You're not ultimately offending your spouse. You're not ultimately offending your parents. Let this be known. When you are apathetic to Christ and all of who he is and all he has done to save sinners and you just don't give a care, it is high-handed offensive treason. This is because the higher the person, the higher the offense. People get threatened with bodily harm all the time. You hear people say, I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to kill you, especially if you cross people in traffic. But if you threaten the president, Democrat or Republican, the Secret Service is all over you. The higher the person, the higher the offense. Your apathy offends God. Because you cannot offend a higher person. Your apathy offends God because you cannot ignore a clearer message. Notice he says here in verse 2, we must pay closer, for this reason we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. What we have heard. And all the writer of Hebrews is saying is the simple gospel message. That man is in his sin. And there is a gulf between him and God. And that relationship, this is why all your other relationships are all messed up. This is why your relationships with your friends and your family are all messed up. Because you are not reconciled with God. It is a symptom of what happens. And what occurs. And the Bible says, because we are at war with God. And when we come to our deathbed, we will have to give an account. And if we are not in Christ, if we are not trusting in his name and trusting in Christ and what he's done on the cross, we will be lost. You have to cling to what you have heard. You cannot add. This is precisely why he uses the instrument of faith. It is by its very nature explains that you cannot add to your salvation. That's why God, you ever wonder why, why does God ask us to express faith? He asks us to express faith Simply because you cannot add to faith. It is a trusting. It is a hoping in Him. You cannot ignore a clearer message. This is why it offends God. You cannot reject a freer gift. Notice he says, lest we drift away from it. This is interesting. The word there means to flow past. It means to slip away. It's like a a ship drifting without anchorage. And what this is saying is, you've been given the privilege of hearing the gospel, of hearing the glories of Christ. What you have done with it is simply nothing. You've done nothing with the gospel. You just simply let your heart drift from clinging to Christ 
and attaching faith to the gospel. To you, the gospel is simply a nice idea. Nothing to give your life to. You know, I'm trying to learn surfing, but it's very hard. Part of surfing is, uh, one of the parts of surfing I just notice is, um, is location. You gotta be at the right place, and you gotta know how to read water. I remember I was, um, my wife and I, we had a chance to go to Hawaii, and we were in Waikiki. It has nice, slow rolling waves, and we were there, and we were all decked out with our rash guards and everything, and and we thought we were gonna catch some good waves, and we caught a couple, you know. Then this woman comes out; she looks like she's going to the market. She. She had a big yellow hat on, you know, like the kind that you wear for a market. She had long sleeves and long pants. It looks like, Jeanette says, it looks like she was on her way to the market and ended up surfing. She's an older Japanese woman. And I was thinking, mm, she's not going to catch waves. And every wave, this woman was shredding. I mean, she caught it and caught every wave. And so she knew how to position her board at the right place. After a while, if you're surfing, it gets really tiring to surf. And it gets really tiring to position your board at the right place. And so, if you're at a harbor and you're just there and you're not paddling and getting your board at the right place, what happens is, if you do nothing, you drift towards the jetty. If you do nothing, you drift towards the jetty. Similarly, if you do nothing with the gospel, you're drifting towards danger. What have you done with the gospel? What have you done with Christ? James 1 says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. If you know the story of Christ, the story of the gospel, and you have not bowed the knee to his lordship, you've drifted. He's not your lord. He beckons you to come back. If you say, I just don't have time for Christ, for him, his interests, his church, he is not your lord. Who are you fooling? He is not your lord. John Calvin said it this way. The whole life of man until he is converted to Christ is a ruinous labyrinth of wandering. So the first soul damning reason why you must repent of your apathy is because your apathy offends God. Second, your apathy deserves judgment. Your apathy deserves judgment. Verses 2 and 3. Because, notice in verse 2, if, for if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It says, for if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, one commentator said it this way. How do we understand that? It says, for in view of the fact that the word spoken through angels. In other words, angels were connected with the giving of the law. In the Old Testament, 
the angels were always connected with the giving of the law. We don't know how God actually used the angels, but they're in the background. And he used them in a way that mediated the giving of the law, the revealing of his glory. In Deuteronomy, you could jot this down if you uh, want to do some further study. In Deuteronomy 33, 2, he says, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the midst of 10,000 holy ones. At his right hand, there were flashing lighting, flashing lightning for them. In Acts chapter 7, verse 38, it says, This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai and who was with our fathers, and we, he received living oracles to pass on to you. The law is very clear and straightforward. Jesus assumed you had the law. The Bible also says that the law is written on the conscience such that even when you violate it, it tells you. You have been given ample warning with a message that was superintended and protected in the background by angels. You cannot say at the last day, I didn't hear it. You cannot say at the last day, I never knew about it. I didn't know. That's not going to excuse you. Because you've been given ample warning, because you'll face meticulous scrutiny. You will face meticulous scrutiny. Now, please understand, even as I preach this, I don't have any joy preaching judgment. There is no joy in preaching judgment for me. This is one of my harder sermons. I don't like it. But what I do like is telling you, you can run from this judgment, brothers and sisters. You can run from this judgment, those who don't know him. There is a Christ. But you will face meticulous scrutiny. Notice he says, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense. The word for transgression means to go aside, to overstep to disobey, to disregard, to violate. If you were to put it in a different term, you can call it, it is the sin of commission. It is doing what is not right. The word there for disobedience is the unwillingness to hear, refusing to obey, refusing to listen. So you can call this the sin of omission, not doing what is right. The first one would be, doing what is not right. The second would be not doing what is right. And then he says, just recompense. Just means the righteous, the deserved, based on what is right, fair, legitimate, according to what is right. You will be judged according to what you have heard. You will be judged fairly and impartially if you are not in Christ. The judgment you receive will be in direct relation to the appeals and the light you have received from the gospel. As one commentator said, the more light you reject, please listen to me, the more light you reject, the more tragic judgment you will receive. Jesus said in Matthew 11, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than you. You, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You shall descend to Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, 
it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. What Jesus is saying here is it's more tolerable in Tyre and more tolerable in Sidon. And it will be more tolerable in Sodom because they rejected Christ in Capernaum as he walked, as he preached the gospel, and as he did miracles. They received more light and they rejected him. Mark chapter 12 says about the Pharisees, they like the chief seats in the synagogues, the places of honor. They devour widows' homes and for appearances' sake offer long prayers. They will receive greater condemnation. Look at this text, Hebrews chapter 10. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. This is where apathy leads you. Apathy, chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse. Oh, we'll start in 26. Chapter 10, we'll start with 26. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth. See, this is a person who has come under the exposure of the gospel. Who knows the gospel. If you go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. You do not have a life that reflects knowing Christ. He says, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Look at verse 28. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Verse 29. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God will judge you with meticulous scrutiny. He will judge every single thought that dishonored him. He will judge every single action that you have done in sin. He will judge every single action that you should have done that was righteous and you did not do. See, when I look at this and I look at the mirror of my own soul, I know I'm condemned apart from Christ. I know I don't stand a chance. I know the things I have done, the things I have thought, the things I have said, I don't stand a chance. He will judge every single transgression, every single disobedience. Because you also, because you ignored appeals of peace. Notice in chapter 2, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a, a salvation? The obvious answer is you cannot. Hell is an eternal fire, Matthew 25. Mark 9 says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Revelation 14, 11 says, 
The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. If you're a visitor, we love that you're here. If you're not a member, we love that you're here. Our prayer is that you will come to know the saving grace and forgiveness of Christ. If you are a kid because mommy and daddy brought you here, I love that you're here. On the flip side, I want you to know this. You have to know this. It is not a light thing for you to come and hear the gospel week after week and not bow the knee to Christ. You are heaping judgment for yourself if you continue to reject his offer of love. Young ones, I'm talking to you. If your friend brought you, if your spouse brought you, if your parents brought you, I'm glad you're here. But make no mistake, these are not mere morals so we can get along. This is the blessing and command of the gospel. Run to safety. Run to Christ. There are three reasons for you to repent of your soul-damning apathy. Number one, your apathy offends God. There's no one higher. Number two, your apathy deserves judgment. And number three, your apathy lacks reason. There's no reason for it. It's insanity. Cosmic insanity. Notice verse 3b. If the word spoken through the angel is unalterable and every transgression and disobedience receives a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. You're blocking out God's testimony. Notice he says, after it was the first spoken through the Lord, at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who hear. Christ himself spoke the gospel. He traveled and preached the gospel. Some people say, "Some well, if God came down, I would listen. People say that. If God came down, I would listen. He did. Well, if he... If there was a voice from heaven, I would listen. It did. All that is smokescreen. You just don't want to bow the knee and give your own self-autonomy. You still want to be the Lord of your life, not Christ. Notice, it is blocking out God's own testimony of himself. It's almost as if God's on the phone and you just hang up. I don't want to hear You wouldn't even do that to your friends, let alone God incarnate who has given us his word. You block out God's deeds. Notice in verse 4, he says, God also testifying with him both by signs and wonders, and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. God bears witness with them. He does it by speaking. He does it by his deeds. If you remember, we've been going through this in Acts Signs, wonders, and miracles. Signs pointing to a greater spiritual truth. Wonders pointing to the experience of it happening. Miracles pointing to an attribute of God in the occurrence. And by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. That is the miraculous gifts that was given to confirm what God is actually doing. Giving of the gospel. If you remember in Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene. 
a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. It's the same pattern here we see in Hebrews. Now, some say this judgment is so fire and brimstone, so negative. And admittedly, if we left you there, it would be negative. If you just preached judgment and then say, okay, I'll see you guys for lunch. See you later on. Right? But that's not the gospel. It's God's kindness that you hear this now. Let me tell you. It is God's kindness that he is patient with his judgment. It is God's kindness that you even hear the gospel and you could even consider Christ. It's much like the warning in the road. It is kindness that someone is warning you there is danger ahead. That is kindness. That is love. That is not trying to scare you. That is just simply being kind. Romans 2 says this. Why don't you turn there? We'll finish this. We're Romans chapter 2. Receive Christ. Romans chapter 2. Verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse. Every one of you who passes judgment. For in that while you judge one another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Verse 2, and we know that the judgment of God rightly falls. That means he judges correctly all the time. He knows how it really is. You can't cute your way out of this, you understand? You know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. Verse 3, but do you suppose this, O man, that you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Verse 4, herein is the gospel. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. It's kind that he gives you the gospel. It is kind that you're hearing the preaching of the gospel. Verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, here it is, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to to his deeds. What the Bible is saying is every sermon you hear, every plead of your parents or plead of your spouse or plead of your children to turn to Christ, every time someone opens the Bible, you are collecting wrath for yourself because of your apathy, because you just don't care. It doesn't matter if you didn't murder anyone. You just don't care about God. And you'll understand this as you get to become a parent and your kids, and you, you, I remember 
sometimes Jeanette would work all this time to make a meal and the kids will be ungrateful for the meal. It is of high dishonor simply because there is no thanks given. There is no recognition of the gift giver. It is a high, high dishonor when God himself sent his son to die and you spit upon the Christ. You trample on the son of glory. His forgiveness for you. You call it a mocking point. You joke and you laugh. That's how hard your heart has become. You ought to be worried that your heart is hard. You ought to be concerned and ask God, soften my heart, please. That is his judgment. And now it is his kindness to put your trust in Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus. That's what we celebrate. That's why I love communion. When I think of communion and I take the bread and I drink the wine, the juice, and it reminds me of the body and the blood of Christ, that every single thing I've ever done is forgiven. That I have newness of life. That I have a reason for living now. I celebrate. And I sing. And I'm joyful. Do you have a reason to sing? Do you have a reason to sing? Father, we come before you. We ask, Lord, that you would help us, help us to worship you. We thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that this would not fall on deaf ears, on hardened hearts. I can't convince them. You have to convince them. They don't see their own sin. May the Christians celebrate that they have been forgiven in Christ. Lord, would you save those who do not know you? Soften their hearts to receive the Son of glory. In Jesus' name, amen.